Black Panther will not be the most important movie of the year, but among other topics for discussion, it speaks to the necessity of good fathers and contains a message of peace and goodwill for all people. Are you just watching? Episode 76, Black Panther. Welcome to the podcast that shares critical thinking for the entertained Christian. I'm E. Franklin. I'm Tim Martin. And we have managing to squeeze in a quick recording on the new release, Black Panther. It is out this weekend. It's got to be the fastest we've ever seen one. I was privileged to see a uh, promotional showing on Monday, and the movie didn't come out till Thursday. And so I've been working on notes, and then when I went to see it again today. Tim has literally, almost literally, walked out of the theater into the recording room. I walked out of the theater two hours ago, so... Yeah. <laughs> I'm going off handwritten notes. It's going to be interesting. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so this will be a uh, a fun discussion. We had to hit Marvel again. It seems like we're just, we're, you know, like every other every other movie is Marvel or some kind of superhero. But we're going to stay off, for the most part, the hero discussion in this. There's so many other things to talk about in this movie. You know, I got to say, though, and I was, uh, I think I was even more against doing another superhero movie than you were because, it, you know, they keep coming back to the same themes, I felt like. Mm-hmm. But I'm glad we did this one because I really feel like this one deserves a discussion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it does. There's, there. Well, for one thing, it's really big in media right now. I mean, everybody's talking about this movie. They said it might be one of the biggest opening grossing movies ever, um, just wow. because of all the hype. Yeah, uh, it's it's gotten some negative publicity and some positive publicity, and I can see both sides of the coin on that. But I had to see it because it's Marvel, and I've seen all of the MCU movies, so I was excited to see it, regardless of what kind of publicity it's getting. We probably want to stay spoiler free for just a little while, though. I hope that anybody who's listening to this is has seen the movie because you probably won't understand most of our discussion if you haven't. Yeah, I would say this movie rates right up there with the rest of the MCU with language, violence and uh, the lack of any real sexual stuff. I mean, it's definitely PG-13. Uh, there were some bad words in this movie. Um, I thought they kind of overused the S word. It really stood out to me. And but the violence was all very bloodless. It's uh, that's interesting. Uh, and we've probably talked about this before, but uh, mm-hmm. I actually didn't. I cannot think of a single instance of the uh, of a swear word in the movie. But mm-hmm. but I'm also significantly more desensitized, uh, you know, with my military background. Right. Uh, so yeah. and it it's was... very likely. <laughs> it's very likely. I just missed it all. The point where I noticed it the most was when the um, the CIA agent was flying the aircraft and chasing after. Uh, well, I'm just giving a spoiler, but nobody's going to know where that is. He he uses the S word when he's chasing oh, after yeah, the ships. Oh yeah, I do remember that one. Yeah, and yep. and and it was followed by some like um, gunshots that actually sounded like they. And I thought. The first time I saw the movie, I thought he was saying the S word over and over again. But the second time I was watching, I think he only said it once, but it was because the ray guns he was shooting or whatever sounded like they were. Oh. It sounded like more of the S word. So it just, it, the first <laughs> the time I heard was it. The swearing. <laughs> yeah. The, yeah. The, the weapon was swearing, but I, it, it took two um, viewings for me to figure out that it wasn't a repetition of the word. I, I don't know whether that's good or bad, but. Uh, just as a reminder, you can go to pluggedin.com uh, 
mm-hmm. they usually actually count the swear words. So if you're really worried about the language, that would be the place to go to check out their review. With the soundtrack, there's actually two different soundtracks for the Black Panther. One is by the uh, uh, hip-hop artist Kendrick Lamar. Uh, it has a lot of hip-hop tribal music that was created specifically for the movie or was inspired by the character. Uh, most of the language, according to the Plugged In review, most of the language from the movie is actually uh, in the music, the, the the soundtrack. Yeah. And when I pull up the sound, and when I pull up the album Black Panther, the album music from and inspired by, mm-hmm. uh, every single one of the 14 tracks are tagged as explicit. Yeah, it's it's not the greatest music in the world, but the, the score is by Ludwig Gorenson. And it's got this really cool tribal rhythm to it in places that just um, just give the you know, really unique flavor to the movie. But at the same time, if you listen to the whole soundtrack through, you'll you'll see hear a lot of themes that make you think of the MCU in general because it it fits into the MCU with some very superheroish kind of themes. But at the same time, it has that tribal rhythm that is so amazingly cool. We'll play a little bit of of the Gorenson score here for you. I particularly like tri- tribally flavored music. I feel the you know the the beat and everything. I really feel like this movie um, targeted a different audience than the typical MCU uh, movie does. The, a lot of the hype that it's that it you know has drawn is because it was a, a directed by a black black person had a mostly black cast and seemed to deal with the issues that black people want to go to see movies to see. And mm-hmm. so I think that this has a slightly, in fact, when I went to the promotional viewing, I was definitely in the minority there. It was uh, three of the black radio stations promoted the promotional uh, showing that I went to, and they really got the, the audience all rip roaring, excited at the beginning before they started the movie. And, it was it was very interesting uh, to feel like a minority in the movie theater, but it was a very cordial audience. I think I would disagree just a little bit and mm-hmm. say that it appeals to a, a minority audience in addition to the normal MCU uh, movies. Well, obviously, it does attract the MCU audience. I'm just saying I think this one has a broader audience outside of the MCU fan, fan base. Yeah, I, think- I, I guess my point is that they, they weren't going out of their way to – they didn't make an effort to not – embrace mcu as a whole no um or for that matter i don't think they really changed and i don't know much about the char- the comic book character the mm-hmm. black panther mind you 
Um, but I don't feel like they changed the character or the story at all to make it even more a movie that would be embraced by the African-American community. Mm-hmm. You know, they may have. I I don't know the motivation behind the creative team. Well, you know, it's interesting because if you think about it, the the black African-American community is actually the bad guy in this movie. <laughs> no, they're not. It's it's a militant versus a non-militant, really. Mm-hmm. There has been some interesting publicity about that because there were some, you know, white people who have this attitude where they have to be concerned about cultural appropriation and everything who've tweeted about the fact that white people can't um, can't do reviews of this movie because they're white and white people are not allowed to buy tickets and go see it opening weekend because it would uh, impinge on the black audience. Now, this is not black people saying this. It was white people that were tweeting yeah. this. I just thought it's kind of interesting that there's this this whole fear of cultural appropriation that we're not allowed to um, cross culture or even admire each other um about this and this here from what i understand this character was not created by a black person this character was created um by a white a white artist uh i don't know that like you i don't know that much about the comic book that it was based on yeah it, it, it's i thought it was a terrific movie so above all uh, you know putting aside all of the both negative and positive press out there i really enjoyed the movie now there's definitely a lot of stuff in it that we're going to you know find some room to discuss from a christian worldview not necessarily a white or black worldview but there's definitely a lot in there from a christian worldview that we can really dig mm-hmm. into but overall i really liked the movie yeah i i enjoyed the movie too mm-hmm. um it's Two, I came out of the movie with two very strong uh, feelings about, uh, uh, well, the first one was that the writing, the the characters and their motivations in, in Black Panther seemed more real to me than any of the other MCU movies, as mm-hmm. in uh, their actions and reactions and their uh, you know their their very drive had real motivations behind yeah them. it it didn't feel like it was comic book driven so much as it was socially driven and the core idea that the core conflict uh of this movie really comes down to how to address something that needs to be addressed mm-hmm. and you know the different methods potential of, yeah. actions that you yeah. can yeah take yeah uh and they did a terrific job speaking to that in a nuanced manner that allows you to think quietly about it in your own head mm-hmm. without, without having an opinion shoved down your throat yeah um, yeah yeah a lot of people look at this movie uh like uh, you know a whole social justice warrior thing but it's not mhm I felt it was a intelligent presentation that is going to help people think about how to address social and, and economic disparities. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I agree with you that the movie is not what some people are trying to make it into. Oh, yeah, there, there's no shortage of idiots, Yeah, <laughs> on, especially on Twitter. Uh-huh. Yeah, uh, well, in all the social media and Prior to seeing the movie, I was seeing a lot of build up with this whole, like you said, the social justice thing. And 
a lot of they're actually presenting this movie as being this representation of a hero that the black kids can look up to. And I don't know whether that's really what the African-American community think, but that's the way the the movie is being presented. Like they haven't ever had an African-American hero to look up to or or someone of dark skin who is in a heroic position that they can look up to and use as a hero, that it took the making of this movie to break this barrier. And I got the thing is like, that's not true. There's been lots of heroes portrayed by black actors in movies. I can come up with a lot of them right off the top of my head. And Mm -hmm. just in this podcast, we've actually uh, reviewed several movies that portrayed in, in the main characters who were black, who were, even based on real life people who were heroic in their own corners of their, their, you know, their own way that they impacted the world, like Jackie Robinson in the 42 movie and um, yeah. Catherine Goble Johnson in Hidden Figures and even Chris Gardner in Pursuit of Happiness, which I think was the first movie we reviewed together. Yep. Yeah, it was. Yeah. So I guess it's, it's just for me. And like I said, I don't know that that's really the way the African community is taking this movie. I think it's more just the way some media outlets have presented it. But I, I don't think that it's actually honest to what this movie is doing. And and I'm hoping that there aren't young um, children in the African community who who feel that this is the only hero of the same color of their skin that they can grasp hold of because he's fictional. And there are a whole lot of really wonderful, uh, amazing men to look up to um, who have dark skin. Just this week, I saw some stuff going on around about Ben Carson. And I just think Ben Carson's story is absolutely amazing. Mm. And I think that not saying that you can't hold up a fictional character as someone to to like. And but at the same time, there's plenty of real life people as well yeah. to hold up and esteem for their impact on the world. I am sure that the idea that people are looking at T'Challa as a um, as a hero to be held up as an example is a minority, not a majority. Mm-hmm. It's not like a fictional hero pushes out real he- heroes. I would like to think that somebody who, you know, grasps, especially a child who grasps onto him as a uh, as a potential hero figure would only use that as a springboard to investigate more people mm-hmm. who share their demographic characteristics and we're not just talking african americans here even though uh even though that's what uh black panther deals primarily with mm-hmm. we're talking all uh all groups mm-hmm. uh, every every group that has been oppressed or uh, disadvantaged can develop heroes for that matter there's no reason that you have to have, you have to be from a disadvantaged group and again you know i'm speaking as a white male middle class protestant so it would be reasonable to say that i have very little experience with the discrimination that women face that african americans face that can't even think of any other groups <laughs> uh, for that matter you know uh lgbt face it drives at least in in the part of uh some of the uh the young black men that i've heard speak it drives their worldview to a point you know where they worry when i pass a police officer on the street uh you know when i drive by a speed trap or one is pulling out of a parking lot that i happen to be driving by my biggest concern is, am I speeding? And 
their biggest concern is, are they going to pull me over? Uh, is my crime driving while black? So I don't live with the same type of concern or fear that many of these disadvantaged social groups do. But that doesn't mean that I can't have sympathy or empathy for it. And I want people to have examples to look up to, and I don't want those examples to be non-biblical. I want those examples to ultimately lead to Christ, and that's the way it should be. Ben Carson, I think, is an excellent example of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, agree or disagree with him politically. He has done remarkable things with his life. And I think one of his best testimony is how he he, t- he explains, uh, I don't know I, whether you've read his book or not, but he explains how um, coming to Christ helped him deal with his anger. And I think that that's a lot of what you're talking about is the, the reaction to the way people treat you is automatically anger. I mean, we all get angry when, when we're mistreated. And if you come from a minority group who feel like or really are one or the other um, disadvantaged because of of some demographic or characteristic that you have, you, your response is to be angry. And Ben Carson um, says in his book that he was angry all the time. And and I can just see how that would be, you know, this driving force in you. And he said that when he became saved and, and when Christ became, you know, a, a dominant feature in his heart, it helped him cure his anger. And he was able to face all the things that came against him with a totally different attitude. And and that's, to be honest, like you said, where where the gospel comes into it. Because if you don't have mm-hmm. Christ... Christ gives you the, that self-control and that that different outlook, that different view on the way you're being treated. And so the gospel is really the, the key to all of that. Yeah. It, it, and you know that anger that mm-hmm. that Ben Carson was able to put aside through, uh, through the Holy Spirit? That is the same anger that drives the conflict in Black Panther. Mm-hmm. Uh, you see it in the you see it in the opening scene, and you see it in all of the antagonist scenes, though in a even more corrupt way. Uh, mm-hmm. It's we're we're s- still in the spoiler free section. <laughs> we can move on. I think we've we've probably dealt with those issues well enough to to actually speak to um, real things going on in the movie. Okay. If if you haven't um, seen the movie up to this point, then uh, you probably want to um, stop and go see the movie and come back. But if you don't yeah. mind spoilers, you can keep listening because uh, while we probably will spoil the movie, we're probably not going to say anything that you don't already know is going to happen from seeing previews. <laughs> you know, with the, with this one in particular, I, I want to say that seeing the movie with as clear a mind as possible with an o- as open a mind as possible with this one in particular i felt was very helpful for me i i hadn't even read the plugged in review before going to see it mm-hmm. i specifically inv- avoided all the news cuz i knew it was going to be not a touchy one but i knew it was going to be racially sensitive mm-hmm. and let's face it you and i are not the uh poster children of presenting a, an understanding, a deep understanding of, of the racial inadequacies of our culture. So I really wanted to try and go into it with a with an open mind and not knowing anything. Mm-hmm. And listener, if you have not seen the movie yet and you really want to experience it and 
considerate without contamination, then stop listening right now and come back to us once once you've uh, seen it and then engage us on Facebook mm-hmm. or in email or in voicemail. Let us know where what we get right and what we get wrong. Now that we're out of the spoiler section, <laughs> I want to I want to talk a little bit more about that anger uh, that uh, you mentioned with Ben Carson mm-hmm. that he was able to put aside through the intervention of the Holy Spirit. In the opening scene, you uh, encounter a much younger king of Wakanda back in 1992. So he ha- goes to visit his brother, who is working undercover in the United States as an agent of the War Dogs, which is one of the tribes of the Wakandan people. And they explain later in the movie, he's radicalized while he's there. And he's radicalized over the issue of social, excuse me, not social inequality, but economic disparity, which, because of the way our society has developed, affects mainly, particularly in the area that he was in, affects mainly... Urban blacks. Uh, yeah, urban black families. Mm-hmm. It is not a fact of nature that it worked out that way. It's a fact of sinful nature that it worked out that way. There's absolutely nothing about it that's natural. It's a result of sin and its interaction with our society through history. But I digress. So he had been radicalized, and he has his heart in the right place, but his method He's so angry, he is convinced that violence is the only way to address the problem. Mm-hmm. And then you, throughout the uh, the scene, uh, he ends up pulling a gun on the king and uh, is killed in self-defense. He actually pulls the gun on, on um, his... Oh, yeah. On uh, Forrest Whitaker's character, right? Yeah. Um, I was actually looking down trying to write a note at the same time. <laughs> so, so you didn't tell you what happened. The, the the two downsides of taking notes in, in initial showings are, one, you can't see anything that you're writing. Uh-huh. And two, you still look down at your paper because you try to figure out where you're writing. <laughs> and you miss, uh, you miss stuff on the screen. Yeah. So he pulls a gun and the king uh, kills him out of defense of uh, Whitaker's character, though not played by Whitaker in this scene. The younger version of him. <laughs> yeah, the younger version of Whitaker. I'm glad yeah. they didn't de-age him CGI-wise. That would yeah. have been really uh, awkward. So jump ahead to the return of his son as the challenging royal to Wakanda. And his motives are, his heart is not in the right place. Mm-hmm. It's like he got just a, a Cliff Notes version of, of what was bothering his dad and just embraced the violence portion of it and not the change portion of it. But he kept his anger, and the the anger fueled him, and that anger is present in... I thought it was a very interesting, because one of the quotes, um, Okoye, I think it's what her name is, um, the, the general, she tells him when she when she's fighting them at their, their end, that your heart is so full of hatred, you are not fit to be a king. So that that's you know just kind of encapsulate who he is all in one go yeah it's and you know what it, again i i mentioned that i i really like the nuanced way that they presented everything in this movie there's a scene where uh the black panther has finally caught um uh ulysses uh claw mm-hmm. 
and is definitely he's clearly ready to kill the man and uh t'challa is uh, dealing with the same anger but it is his sense of loyalty uh, or rather his sense of duty mm-hmm. uh and the guidance of his general mm-hmm. where that he's able to put it aside and there was actually a quote from from that section where claw begs for mercy if somewhat facetiously yeah i was gonna say it was mockingly yeah and t'challa replies uh, uh claw says mercy mercy uh your majesty mercy and t'challa replies every breath you take is a mercy from me <laughs> and you know that that uh that actually struck struck me um and I'll, i'm just gonna go a, a hair off topic here but that made me think of uh what we deserve as uh sinners mm-hmm and every breath you take is a mercy from me could almost have been said by God to us. Mm-hmm. But God doesn't want us to die. It's a good point. You know, this. I even missed that line. So I'm glad you caught it. <laughs> uh, it's, I guess what makes me think it is I'm still going through Romans with our community group. We're actually very close to the end doing mm-hmm. uh, chapter 14. But we all deserve damnation. Mm-hmm. It's from the uh, the fall all the way through. We just are not up to the standard of holiness. And it's only through the mercy of God that we do not receive what we deserve. Mm-hmm. And the grace of God is the gift that allows us to escape that justice. Mm-hmm. And when T'Challa was, when he said that, uh, it just, it reminded me that God is so, so much more sovereign than T'Challa is in Wakanda. We live and die at his command. I mean, look what he allowed to happen to Job. Um, Mm -hmm. And Job's, Satan brought about the death of all of Job's children and his household and all of his crops and livestock died. And it it was just terrible, but it all served to bring glory to God. And Mm -hmm. that's why I think it's so wrong with the, the, you know, the whole prosperity gospel thing is that, you know, if you're not being blessed then you must not be living for God. And that's not true because God doesn't promise us our blessings here. Right. But we're getting way off topic. So let's steer this back to the movie. One of the things kind of you were pointing out with Eric Killmonger, the very interesting thing that I kind of drew, and this was almost, I saw it a little bit the first time I watched it, but the second time I watched the movie, it really jumped out to me. The way they were contrasting what fatherhood, uh, the impact that their fathers had in these two boys' lives, because T'Challa was raised by a very kingly man who prepared him for not only ruling, but for, as I thought it was very interesting, he said a man who has not prepared his children for his own death has failed as a father. Um, So he's actually prepared T'Challa, you know, for the eventual death of the king so that he would become king. And so he's been raised by a very wise man who has had a significant impact on his life. And then you have Eric Killmonger, who had a loving father, but he lost him at a young age. And I think that that it's not just what his father did, but what happened to his father that created that anger that you were talking about. And it's not just the injustice of, you know, what he sees around him, but his own 
uh, lack of having a father in his life to put that into perspective. Yeah. And so I, I think that this movie really contrasts between these two characters, why having a, an, a father who is active in your life is so important and how it builds up young men into uh, great men when they grow up. And mm-hmm. it's not necessary that it's always the case. I mean, like Ben Carson, the person we were talking about earlier, he was raised by a single mother and he still, he had a very dedicated single mother who turned him into what he is today. I think he, Ben Carson, except for the movement of Christ in his life, probably would not be the man he is today without his mother. So mothers are important too, but I think that this movie shows how a loss of a father or not having the father at the proper time in your life can definitely impact what you do with yourself. Yeah. And it, you know, it may have been that if, uh, if Killmonger's, uh, if Eric Killmonger's father had not had been, survived uh, yeah. because the last instruction that, that the King gave to him was, uh, you're going to re- return to Qu- uh, Wakanda and you are going to, um, uh, essentially confess your sins right. to the council. Mm-hmm. It, let's say that had happened in an alternate version of the movie. Um, what would have happened to Eric? He would have probably taken him to Wakanda with him. He probably would have been exposed to the culture. Yep. You know, it, there but he may, he may still have turned out angry, mm-hmm. but I don't think he would have turned out the, the CIA sponsored wet op <laughs> agent that, uh, that he turned into. Yeah. And I, you know, to me, that was just, you know, you kind of bring back and, you know, talking about the anger, it, it actually says in Ephesians 6, 4, it says, fathers do not promote provoke your children to anger but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the lord you raise a very interesting point one i've never thought of uh with ephesians 6 4 Mm -hmm. i had always read that as don't tick off your kids (laughs) but the the way you're presenting it made me realize that it's also fathers don't train your kids to anger yeah which is uh i Clearly, I'm I'm in the minority here, but uh, <laughs> I had never considered it that way, and that is so much more profound. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's I've raised three children to adulthood now, and I'll tell you, you cannot do that without taking off your kids. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I always <laughs> every time it happened, I was like, man, if I failed. <laughs> but you know, raising your kids and training your kids in the way of anger. Uh, is so much worse. As a matter of fact, I have a scripture coming to mind. Hang on a second. Are you talking about Luke seventeen two? It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and then he was cast in the sea than that he should cause one of these little ones to sin. Exactly. It's uh, even more, it's a betrayal by a parent to train them up in a way of anger mm-hmm. and a violation it, it leading them to sin that way. Uh, so much deeper and more profound uh, when you look at Ephesians 6, 4 in that same manner. Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah, well, and I like the back end of that. It says, but it's it contrasts, don't bring, don't provoke them to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So there's, mm-hmm. the anger is like the, the undisciplined way of facing the world, but you, you're supposed to discipline them and instruct them with wisdom so that they don't let their anger take over. And so, yeah, it, there, there's a contrast there that's extremely important. We're, we've been going through Colossians in in church, and my pastor spent 
an entire sermon just on the one verse, fathers do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. And he fed back to the Ephesians 6, 4 verse and, and mm. spent an entire sermon just on those two verses. It was really amazing and it was very insightful. And, and these, you know, these came directly to mind when I, when I was thinking about how this movie, it's more of an undercurrent, but I really feel like they, it is speaking to the importance of fatherhood. And I, and I think that that is, a plague on our country. It, I think it hits dramatically the African American community, but it hits all everybody in our country because of divorce and the fracturing of the family and our culture. Yeah, that so many young people are raised without their fathers or without one of their. You know, we're getting tossed back and forth between parents who fight with each other and can't be in the same room together, or just the lack of responsibility. You know, that one parent just leaves. Yeah, it, it's sort of like a situational modifier uh, compared to a force modifier of military action. Mm-hmm. Um, there are certain things uh, when it comes to a military action where if you can um, bring it onto the battlefield, you increase the effectiveness of all your other forces. So it it, it is a force modifier, right? And not having a father, uh, not having a, a, a two-parent family. Um, or specific, specifically a father, mm-hmm. um, can result in making every other potential good thing in a child's life less effective. Mm-hmm. So it really is a force, uh, an effective divider, and it's one that so many people have to deal with. Mm-hmm. Yes, it is it, much more common in socially desperate situations. Mm-hmm especially discouraged families. And it's hard because so much of the scripture uh, refers to God as our heavenly father. And if you're raised without a good earthly father, a lot of times you you don't have a concept of what that means as God as a father. Yeah. Some, some people might then equate God as, you know, the, you know, the strict disciplinarian who, you know, borders the line of abusive and you don't see the loving side of God because that's the only kind of father that you know. I think one verse that kind of applies that is uh, Hebrews twelve nine. It says, besides this, we have had earthly fathers who discipline us and we respect them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father spirits and live? So, you know, th- it's over and over again in scripture. We have this contrast, you know, that, you know, this God is our heavenly father as opposed to our earthly father. But we as a culture are losing the idea or the concept of what an, what a good father is. So I think that this movie speaks to that in a very subtle way. Yeah. And culture is speaking to it in a not so subtle way. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's, we're moving further and further away from traditional family structure, mm-hmm. particularly in America. And, and I have difficulty understanding how anybody could look at that as a uh, a good thing, particularly when you consider the the clear secular evidence mm-hmm. of single parent families having a significantly harder time. Yeah, but uh, again, I digress. I apologize. <laughs> One of the other things I saw in this movie that I thought was very prominent um, was the paganism um, that was going on and and. Possibly this is just because they, uh, their attempt to portray um, possibly a, a pre-Muslim version of Africa because, mm-hmm. you know, Islam has taken over Africa. There's so much of Africa that is touched by it. Um, it's really hard to find 
any uh, African culture that predates, you know, this, this whole Muslim way of doing things. But this movie is full of paganism and ancestor worship. I, I think it's obvious that obviously something we need to address from a, a biblical perspective, because that's the point of this podcast is to um, talk about uh, how God is portrayed in movies. And in this, mm-hmm. this, um, this movie, it's definitely portrayed as a Panther spirit, goddess and ancestor worship and it comes it's it's like driven home in almost every other scene um there's lots of praise to the ancestors and uh glory to bast and very prevalent yeah i didn't feel that way coming out of the Mm -hmm. movie i felt that it was uh a lot more like how i viewed kubo and the two strings well it was bad in that movie too but I it, I didn't feel like the creative team was pushing it as a worldview, but more as a back backdrop to uh, telling the story. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, they weren't pushing. They, they it certainly as a weren't view. proselytizing. No. Yeah. Um, the but the issue is is that it is paganism portrayed in a movie, and we just want to you know, I, I guess shine a light on it. Yeah. Absolutely. The one of the things that comes to mind is uh, Romans one twenty two twenty five. This is kind of our go to passage. I think we go to it like in yeah. every other episode. <laughs> Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. And therefore, God gave them up to the lusts of their hearts, to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. It's just, you know, that that whole spiritualism and worshiping animals and people, that's something that is outside of the nature of God. And, and it's important for us to, you know, I guess shine a light on it, that that is a prevalent foundation of this movie. I mean, it's like their their whole origin story at the beginning was that Bast was the one that, that uh, took this one tribal leader aside and showed them how to become the Black Panther. Yeah. And Bast, I think, is also uh, one of the gods that was brought into uh, the Egyptian pantheon. Um, but uh, it, for me, what it what it highlights is how the existence of God is the certainty of uh, the existence of a supreme being is written on the hearts of men Mm -hmm. and uh it's through ignorance that uh we grasp on yeah we grasp on to as as a people throughout history we grasp on to things that amaze us and things that are magical and creation happens to be one of them Mm -hmm. but uh it's through his word that we that the the truth is plainly revealed mm-hmm. there's certainly been plenty of people throughout history who have had the mysteries of of god revealed to them through intervention of the spirit without having access to scripture but uh we know as a species of people that we cannot be all there is uh it, it's and I'm, I may be totally wrong here, but I feel like it's only been recently, chronologically speaking, that we've had a large subgroup of people who have... Skew all sim- kinds of religion. <laughs> uh, yeah, they, they say absolutely nothing else besides what we see. Mm-hmm. 
Um, although that sounds like it probably even has some Greek, uh, <laughs> some Greek <laughs> roots there. So maybe I'm off base. But uh, when I see historical tribal mythologies like this, I look at it as a glory to God and creation. And they just need to understand that with their worship, they've stopped one step too low. <laughs> they they need to understand that uh, creation is not to be worshipped. It's not the the target of the worship. The target of the worship is the creator. Mm-hmm. And that is who deserves the glory uh, forever and ever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it's you know when when God when God gave us His commandments, he, when He spoke to the Israelites, He says, "You shall not make of yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or is that in the water above the earth, or water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments." So that I mean, I, I get what you're saying, but it, in the end, God, God does does not approve. <laughs> yeah. So, so no, he, he, <laughs> he 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 doesn't approve. Um, yeah. It it's a it's it's a step in the right direction, but it's not an intentional step in the right direction. <laughs> it, it's just something that we as uh, seeking to evangelize or mission serve mm-hmm. mission something that we can use and have throughout history. Yeah. Yeah. I th- I think, um, speaking of, you know, the whole tribal, uh, witnessing the tribes, I think, uh, what movie was it? I think it was the, the end of the spear. I, I never actually got to see it. So. Oh, it's a terrific movie, but I think there was, uh, it's kind of more in the point of view of the tribal peoples and you, and you see from, from their point of view, and this is a, the true story about the, the slaughter of the missionaries in Ecuador by this um, uh, tribe told by uh, the son of Nate Saint, D- a slightly different story than the Through Gates of Splendor. I thought it was very interesting in there that when a lot of people walked out of that movie saying, but we never heard the gospel. But it was it was presented in such a simplistic form for the sake of the people who were hearing it. Um, that it didn't sound like our biblical language, you know, of, you know, Jesus dying on the cross and, and shedding his blood as a propitiation for him. I mean, the gospel was there. It just wasn't said in those words. And so because we didn't hear it in the words that we're used to hearing it, uh, there were a lot of people who disparaged the movie because the gospel wasn't presented. And so I see what you're saying is like you, you have to speak the gospel into a language that they understand. As a starting point. As a starting point. Eventually yeah. they do need the, the scripture in their own in their own language so that they can understand the words of God for themselves. But you have to have um, some way, want some way to get in there to begin with. But, and you know, it, it really, it really is a starting point because mm-hmm. the next scripture that you list uh, in our notes is uh, Matthew twenty two thirty seven, And I want to, I want to ex- expand it out uh, a couple more verses um, because we had just talked about uh, how the Israelites when they were escaping from Egypt, they they had constructed a calf out of uh, out of gold, and they worshipped the calf, and and that's mm-hmm. the same way that uh, that we see uh, totem worship in, here in this movie uh, mm-hmm. in Black Panther and There's throughout Black history. Panthers everywhere, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it is a starting point, just as Exodus twenty uh, four through six. Um, that commandment serves as a starting point in Matthew. 
they Christ uses that as a launch off point, starting with verse thirty four when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees they they came together, and one of them, an expert in law, asked a question to test him, teacher, what command is of the law, what command in the law is the greatest and he said to them, "Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the greatest and most important command." And the second is like unto it, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets depend on these two commands. And that's what this is all pointing to, what it, what the desire to worship God and the understanding of, the innate understanding of a supreme being being out there, even if you don't have the knowledge to put a name or a face to it, it all points to the two the two commandments laid out by Christ, love the Lord mm-hmm. your God and love your neighbor as yourself. Which I think is a terrific transition into the final thing we want to talk about. Um, if, and I'm hoping that everybody who has seen the movie stayed for at least the first teaser. <laughs> it's a re- Marvel movie, people. A- Don't get up and leave. <laughs> yeah, what are you doing? What are you doing? And in this one, it isn't just a teaser for something else. It's actually, I think, the final scene of the movie and why they had to wait until after the pre-credits to show it kind of bugs me because there were a lot of people who got up and left and they missed to me. I, I think they put it there because that's what is expected of a Marvel movie now. Yeah. But I think you're right. I think it was intended as a scene in the end of the movie. Right. It, it really, it, I mean, it, it completed the movie. And without that scene, I think you were just a little bit left hanging because he, he was trying to explain to his um, I think his wife to be didn't actually propose to her, but I think that that's where that was going. Uh, mm-hmm. And to his sister, you know, the, the, I'll be in the sequel. <laughs> um, the, the, dif- the wedding is in the sequel. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the, the difference uh, or the difference he intended to make uh, with what, using, you know, Wakanda's impact on the rest of the world. And this final speech that he makes in front of the, um, you, the, what was it? The, it was the United, United UN. Nations. Yeah. The UN. Yeah. And I wish I could have gotten it all. And I, uh, I hope no somebody, kidding. I hope somebody, you know, post just that scene on YouTube or something because it, <laughs> it, it's so powerful. There, there's some pros and cons to what he says, but I like to take the the um, positive side of it over the negative side. <laughs> but he, the the gist of it, and like I said, I wish I'd gotten the whole thing. It just went by as like after two viewings, you would think I would have the gist of it. I mean, the most of it, but it was too hard. But it was he, he said something to the order of Wakanda wants to be an example of how brothers and sisters should treat each other. There, there was a thing about that we have more in common than we have than we have separating us. And then he says we we need to learn to build bridges instead of you know oh, tearing yeah, us apart. Actually, I I've got that quote, uh, okay, the bridge quote, um, which I thought was particularly uh, poignant. It almost sounded like a, a poor Richard thing. Yeah, uh, the wise build. The wise build bridges, the fools build barriers. Yeah. And then he finishes up by saying, we must find a way to look after each other as if we were one tribe. And that just really jumped out to me because I think one of the most healing messages that there are uh, against uh, racial discrimination and all, all of the things that are t- is tearing our world apart right now is the fact that we are all one blood. We are all brothers and sisters. We are, we are, yeah, yeah. we are all descended from Adam and Eve through Noah and his family. Um, we, we have common ancestors. We all come together. We are, we are all related. We're all brothers and sisters. We are one tribe. And 
we are all one blood and there is absolutely no reason for us to be treating some some of us as unequal or or less because we are all related so there's there's no reason i mean if you cut us we all bleed red you know yeah. and uh, i think it's a very unifying message for me it it, it really does speak to uh you know, love your neighbor as yourself. And, mm-hmm. and, um, I feel like T'Challa is speaking, you know, <laughs> speaking mm-hmm. the Christian message here mm-hmm. of who is your neighbor. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, you look back to, uh, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but you look back to Luke 10, 25 through 37, where Jesus uh, gives the parable of the good Samaritan. It, it, it ends with Jesus asking, uh, which of the three, do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the hand of the robbers? And they replied, the one who showed mercy to him. Mm-hmm. And that's what T'Challa is up there at the, at the podium saying. It's time for us to show mercy to our neighbors. We need to be the good Samaritan to the people who need it. And he wasn't even just saying it at the end of the movie. He was presenting that over and over again. Because Absolutely. when you saw him, there were at least three instances I can think of. Because he, when he had the first challenge um, for, the, for the king, for the throne, the, the guy he challenged, he, he could have killed him. And he begged him to yield so that he three wouldn't times. kill him. Yeah. yeah. So that, yeah he's, and he had mercy on him. And, uh, and then uh, the CIA agent who um, took a bullet for Ross Everett Ross. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Martin Freeman, one of my, one of my favorite actors. He, um, he took a bullet for Nakia and they could have just left him. And in fact, he was being, T'Challa was being urged to leave him because he was an, a foreign government's operative and they didn't want him to see. Yeah. They have, they have an entire history, tradition and policy to keep outsiders out. Right. Yeah. And he overrules them and takes him um, back and, and gets him, you know, healed. And mm-hmm. and then the final scene uh, that he shows mercy is when he's fighting uh, Eric Killmonger and he he stabs him and he's dying and he offers him, we can still heal you. And and Eric, of course, turns him down. But out of that same anger, I want to point out. Yeah. Because he he turns around and says, uh, he he says, bury me at sea where uh, my brothers and sisters died. Jumped out of on, the ships. Jumped yeah. off the ships because they knew it's better to, to die than to live in bondage. Mm-hmm. And that is so, anti- <laughs> it's so <laughs> anti-biblical. Yeah. It's every situation. And this is one of the hardest things of not only being a Christian, but of life. Every situation we're in, we're in by God's will. Mm-hmm. Now, not because God made it happen, mm-hmm. but because God allowed it to happen. And it's so hard to be content that we're going to come out of it better, better Christians. Well, that and having our eyes fixed on an, in an eternity, not on what is fa- what we're facing in this world. Right. And, and I think that's the hole in the so- social justice um, gospel is, is that they they rest too much burden on trying to make uh bring about equality and justice in this life when the true equality and justice is in the next life and not saying that that people don't yearn for that and shouldn't have it 
right. but that it's never going to be perfect and they're never going to be content with what they have on the, in this plane. No matter how much justice, no matter how much equality they get, they're still going to find something to be discontent about yeah. because that's the, that's the nature of the human spirit. So we it, have to it's have okay our, to make it a priority, just not the priority. Or, yeah. The gospel has to be the priority and the, and the gospel works just like it did on Ben Carson's heart. It, it changes your perspective of how you're dealing with the circumstances you're in. It doesn't change your circumstances. It changes your attitude about your circumstances. And a lot of times that's all that really needs to change. Not saying that things can't get better and things, it wouldn't be nice if things got better, but what really should change is the heart um, first. And then a lot of times having your attitude change just fixes your circumstances. But I think in this instance, like you said, you know, he's speaking out of anger. He he doesn't see another future that, that he could try for. And so he allows himself to die. But T'Challa's natural instinct in every one of these situations is to show mercy. Yeah. And and so when he speaks, when when he wants to bring his people out of secrecy and, and have an impact on the world by sharing the, the science and the technology and the humanitarian nature of his country with the rest of the world, I think that that just shows, you know, he's no longer bestowing that mercy on individuals, but on the whole world. And, and, and you realize that there is actually quite a bit of this movie that has like this, um, the savior and this resurrection, uh, death and resurrection, you know, with the burying and the, and the resurrection uh, oh, yeah. of, of becoming yeah. king. I had missed that the first time through, but the first time I went to see with the second time I actually leaned over and mentioned it about the second time they buried somebody. It's <laughs> like, there's this whole burial resurrection thing going on. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that never even occurred to me. So yeah, in a way, T'Challa is kind of presented as this type of savior f- for the world. And I, I think he's an imperfect one, but I still think that that message at the end is so beautiful. In Galatians three twenty seven through twenty nine, it says, "For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on, have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female. For you are all one in Jesus Christ. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. That makes us true brothers and sisters in Christ. And that's, mm-hmm. uh, it, it's kind of a terminology that has been thrown around uh, in Christendom for years. You know that you you speak to um, your Christian brother as a brother, but it is so true that in Christ we are truly brothers and sisters. We we are heirs to God. We have become brothers and sisters in Christ, and it's the most unifying thing. It doesn't matter anything else about us, um, what nationality we are, what what shade of brown we are, whether we're slave, whether we're free, whether we live in the United States, whether we live in the deepest jungles of Africa or the the um, deserts of the Middle East or. Uh, China or Russia, it doesn't matter. We're all the together. cold white north. <laughs> the quiet's like trying to th- come up with some flowery way of putting it. <laughs> and then in um, and then the Christian perspective is First uh, John four seven through eight. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. And so that is, I guess. The way I wanted to complete this was that up that uplifting message of unity that we can find in Christ. That it's an imperfect unity if it doesn't have Christ, but it is a perfect unity with Christ when Christ is the glue that holds it together. Yeah. And then let's see. I have one more. Uh, and I, 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 I like the next one that you had listed, uh, Ephesians four thirty one through thirty two. 
in particular because I really felt like it highlights the difference between the uh, the protagonist and the antagonist mm-hmm. in, in Black Panther. Mm-hmm. It says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Mm-hmm. And I, it, it's almost like the first half is uh, Eric Killmonger and the second half is the king. Mm-hmm. Um, even it, it, it really it makes me wish for a Marvel, a, a superhero as cool as Black Panther, but a professing Christian. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it, you know, Daredevil's close. Yeah. yeah. Daredevil is close. It also put me in mind of uh, one that I have hanging on my wall, um, Philippians 4, 8. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any moral excellence and if there is anything praiseworthy, dwell on those things. Mm -hmm. And that's really what separates T'Challa from Eric is he chose to dwell on the the praiseworthy things the, the godly things mm-hmm. even if uh, you know he is a, a pagan <laughs> yes uh i think that a lot of that stuff i mean people can live moral lives without god but i think that they lean on a christian without even realizing it they're leaning on a christian worldview to do so um, which i think unfortunately is not enough yeah yeah it's not enough unless they confess their sins and wash their their hearts with the blood of Christ they are still lost they can just mm-hmm. think they're good people because a lot of times it's done out of selfishness without even realizing it you know the the good that we do is done out of selfishness because you think it's that 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 twist on the golden rule do unto others as you would have them do unto you yeah. it's do unto others so that other people will treat you well so <laughs> <laughs> kind of a selfish bent on it. But yeah, I, I I just think that this was, you know, that that scene at the end of the movie just put a great cap on it. And there there's some negative stuff in this movie. Don't get me wrong. Um, but I, I think in, all in all, it had a really good message. And I'm glad I got to see it twice, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Now that we're kind of raked this thing over the coals, we'd love to hear what other people who have seen the movie think about it. And and like uh, Tim mentioned earlier on the podcast, um, how we covered it, um, uh, we'd love for your feedback. And I would love to hear from folks. Uh, we've gotten some feedback before on uh, how we handled uh, racially sensitive issues. And uh, I, I'd love to get feedback, even like what we got before, just if no other reason than it helps us to grow as uh, people. And, you know, anytime our own failings are pointed out, it gives us the opportunity to grow. So, you know, send the feedback our way. (laughs) Uh, And you can give us that feedback. You can email it to us at feedback at areyoujustwatching.com or you can call us at 903-231-2221 or you can comment on the show notes for this episode, which are at areyoujustwatching.com slash 78. You can subscribe, rate, and review us in iTunes. Uh, we actually really would perf- really would like to have some new reviews in iTunes. So if you're over in iTunes and are browsing through the store, uh, please uh, give us a rating and a review. We very much appreciate it. You can follow me and on Twitter uh, at Eve Franklin. You can follow me on Twitter at 
Renchepple, R-E-N-C-H-E-P-L-E. And we would love to uh, thank our listeners for their support on patreon.com slash are you just watching special thanks to Craig Hardy, Richard French and Stephen Brown II for their monthly support. They have been supporting us for over a year, probably almost two years now. Thank you. Yes. Thank you so much, guys. And we really appreciate other people to give a small monthly gift to keep our podcast running. Uh, We don't use it frivolously. I promise you. Uh, Yeah. In order to do that support, we do ask that you go to patreon.com slash are you just watching? I believe that's it. That's all we got. So yep. uh, check in. I don't know that we've lined up what we're going to do next, but uh, something else will be coming. And if you can check our our discussion group in Facebook, just look for are you just watching? It's a it's a group rather than a page and ask to join and we will let you in. Yeah. It, you know, there there's so much out there that that we won't do on the podcast because Mm -hmm. it's, uh, you know, it's either rated R or it's, uh, you know, much more, uh, adult material than, Mm -hmm. uh, and we want to keep this a family podcast. Exactly. (laughs) Then it's, is appropriate for the podcast. Right. And also just extended discussion on the ones that we do talk about, because there's only so much that we can shove into an hour or so. So we do ask that you, uh, come and join the discussion and help us, uh, flesh out some of these ideas and talk more about them. And if you want us to do something in particular, point it out to us. We may have missed it altogether. Yeah. There's a lot of movies that we just don't have the time to see or have missed coming out. So do, do, um, come over and join the Facebook group. Uh, if you happen to visit our page and see us posting our episodes there, I ask that you share them, uh, among your, uh, friends and family so that um, we get a grander exposure and to a wider audience, help us promote and grow as a podcast. Thank you so much for listening. I'm E. Franklin. And I'm Tim Martin. And don't just watch. Are You Just Watching is a proud member of Noodle Mix Network. Subscribe to more of our podcasts to make you think, laugh, and succeed at noodlemix.net.